John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you are the only God that chose to become flesh and die for us. Lord, as we get into this book of John, Father, uh, I'm just so thankful for it, for the word, for the light that it brings into our life. Lord, as as we study this morning, I just pray that you would help us to uh, sense the power of your presence through this study, for the sacrifice that you made and for the promises that you have for us. Lord, just bless your people now as this word comes forth. In Jesus' name. July 12th, 2009. I came to Calvary Chapel Buell to be pastor uh, almost 11 years ago now. Started on Sunday mornings in the Gospel of John chapter 4. The pastor who was before me had already taught a few of the chapters. I just picked it up where he left off. And uh, Wednesday night we started the book of Jeremiah. Now, 11 years later, we can say, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I was sharing with somebody this morning, I did better than John Piper took 10 years to go through Romans. 
and the time it took him to go through Romans, I did the whole Bible. So, so we're excited about uh, picking up and going again because there's always something there for us. We just uh, had a beautiful moment. I hope you guys um, are able to appreciate the the opportunity to just feel the peace of God in worship, to have uh, have the Holy Spirit minister that to you because in this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome. He promises peace. And I can tell you in 20, I'll just round off, 25 years of ministry and and uh, serving the Lord longer than that, but just 25 years of ministry, there's a lot of turmoil, and there's a lot of battles, and there's a lot of what we would call drama. <clears throat> you guys know what I mean, right? But there has not ever been in all that time a time without his peace. So sometimes I can't connect to it. Sometimes my flesh is running. Sometimes I feel like I'm going 40 different ways and I'm worried about this or I'm sorrowful about that. And then God's Spirit will faithfully whisper in my ear, peace. Peace. Just let go of all that stuff. John, he waited until very near the end of his life to pen any of the books he wrote. Uh, Gospel of John, Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. I think there's good scholarship behind the idea that he didn't start writing until the 90s. Uh, Revelation, certainly, I don't think Revelation's penned till about 95. John lived... Longer than all the other disciples. Not necessarily easier, but he lived longer. And the one who at one time was coined the phrase, the son of thunder, becomes the, the son of love. And just like what we were just singing, John, sometimes they would carry him, tradition says, and he died in Ephesus, his, uh, <clears throat> his tomb, his and Mary's. Uh, are in Ephesus, they, they will carry, they carry him up front because he wasn't able to walk no more. And so here he is, the eyewitness of Jesus Christ, the guy who was there, who raced into the empty tomb. Can you imagine if he was visiting church, what that'd be like? So they'd bring him up front and he would say, my little children love one another. Earlier in his life, when people irritated him, he'd say, Lord, send fire from heaven and swallow them all up. <laughs> That's how he got the name Boagernus, the son of thunder. He wanted to call thunder from heaven and destroy people. But in the end, he was transformed into a son of his love. And he's going to use a phrase as we work our way through the gospel that I used to think different about it. He, he uses this phrase, you know, uh, and there was the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
And I, and I would say, sometimes I'd look at that and i go, man, that's... It's, it's good if Jesus says you're the disciple he loves. It's a little weird when you say it. But you know it's not at all. Here's what John came to realize. And he, he knows it from chapter 1, verse 1. He's really going to settle it for us in chapter 3. Right? You all know chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved who? That he did what? Oh, my goodness. And John, in his following Jesus for those years of earthly ministry, and as he lived his life out, being persecuted and going through tribulation and hard time, being arrested, going to jail, being sent to Patmos uh, in, in isolation, all the different things he suffered. You know, the one thing he knew through it all, God loves me. And when you settle that, last, uh, last Wednesday we were talking about Jeremiah 20. And Jeremiah 20 is Jeremiah's worst chapter. It's the chapter when Jeremiah wants to quit. It's the last chapter Jeremiah ever says he wants to quit. But it's the chapter. Everything in his life is sideways. He's been betrayed for the last time. He's had it. I'm done. I, I can't deal with this no more. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to share the word. I just want to quit. But... I think, you know, I think Jeremiah settles it the same way John does. The love of God is not proven by my circumstances. The love of God's not proven by the job I have. It's not proven by the money in my checking account. The love of God's not proven by his healing. The love of God's not proven by the works, workings of miracles. The Bible tells us how the love of God was proved. That when we were at enmity, at war with God, He came. And to help us kind of mentally kind of get that down, you know, the Bible says that greater love has no man than He gives His life for His friends. And sometimes we look at that and we go, oh, why would. Why would the Lord say that? Surely greater love has no one than he gives his love for his life for his enemies. Oh, you have to read the rest of the book. Because God said you were all his enemy. Everyone. When it says we were at enmity with God, it means we were the ones pounding the nails. We were the ones spitting in his face. We were the ones pulling out his beard. And he loved us so much, he came anyways. And that, if you can just lay hold of the beauty of a love that is so unconditional. We all say, you know, maybe we feel like there are people on earth who have shown us some form of unconditional love. But I would say nobody's ever shown you that. The only person who's ever shown you unconditional love is God because he knows who you are. He knows what you've done. He knows what you thought. He knows the times when your heart is horribly angry and bitter and he knows when your heart is soft and malleable and he loves you anyway. Enough 
to do something that we can't even really fathom. We talk about the fact that God became flesh, and we'll say it in one sentence. (laughs) And then we'll spend the rest of time trying to figure out how that happened. What did that mean? What did what did he lay aside to accomplish that? So John, at the end of his life, he's saying, look, I just want everyone to understand who Jesus is. So he tells us why he wrote the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is not considered a synoptic. It's not Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are, were written much earlier. John writes John because he says, I want you to know Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you will believe in him and have life. I want you to know that. So when the winds blow and the waves come and your little house hopefully is built on the rock of Christ, it doesn't fall down. But it can't be built on the rock of Calvary Chapel Buell or Jackie or Kathy or Fred or Ringo. doesn't matter. It has to be built on Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is? Yeah, we know this, right? We sing about it. We meditate on it. My hope as we work our way through my favorite gospel, that we will come face to face with uh, just the beauty and be reminded that this is the point, right? We want to be able to put our anchors into the love of God, which will bring you peace no matter what's going on. No matter, no matter what. We often look at somebody else's life and we say, I don't know how I would do that. Sure you do. You do it because God loves you and he'll give you what you need. Because your anchor's set in him. And if it's not, you will be shaken. But if I build on him, we just sang it, right? I won't be shaken. The economy is shaken. Healthcare, it's a little shook up. Normal life, I don't even know what that is anymore. Everything that is not anchored in Christ has been shook. Just so you know, the Lord said that he would always do that. To get us to lift our eyes. Put our eyes on what really matters. Let's take a look. First 18 verses of John chapter 1 is his introduction. And so that's what we'll be looking at. Uh, this morning, when I first came in 2009, I used to teach a chapter no matter what. And then, one time I taught a whole sermon on one word. You guys remember? I said, oh Lord, I remember that was, you almost killed me on that one, Jackie. Sorry. <laughs> I slowed down a little bit in my old age. I have more to say, maybe. But as we look at the introduction, I just want us to understand what is the word's relationship to God and creation. He's going to tell us who the Word is in verse 14. We'll get to that. But we want to understand what is the Word's relationship to God and creation. In the beginning was the Word. In our K Logos. In the beginning. 
Literally, what it means is, before there was a cause, before there was a cause, the Word was. In other words, the Word already existed before there was a beginning to anything. He begins in this first phrase to describe the pre-existence of the Word. I would do it like this. We all would agree, I think all of us would agree, God the Father, He is eternal. And then I would say, well then, wisdom, well that's eternal. Could there have been a day when God wasn't wise? And then he became wise? No. Proverbs tells us about wisdom incarnate. Wisdom incarnate. Wisdom in the flesh. Just like John talks about the word in the flesh. How do we come to know God? How do we experience the unknowable God? The Bible says, we'll see it in a moment, no man has seen God at any time. That means no man, no man can understand him. You can't find him. Go on a search. You will never going to trip over a rock and go, oh, there's God. The only way we find God is because God expresses himself to us. How does he express? What do we call it when we express ourselves to someone? We usually use something Words, the message. In the Old Testament, anytime God was, was visiting or speaking to his people, they would say, the messenger of God. Oh, we translate that in English a little different. We say, the angel of the Lord came before him. But the, angel, the, the word angel in, in Hebrew it means messenger. What does the messenger usually speak? Words, thoughts, the revelation of God expressed to man has always come to man through the same being. It's Yahweh who, who expresses his, himself to us. And I'd love to give you different ways to parse out the definition, but every other way messes it up. So, Yahweh does it through three distinct persons. The Father, who is invisible and no one can see. The Son, who is visible and the one we can touch, hear. And the Spirit, the one who empowers us. Yahweh, three person, one Yahweh. People say, how's that work? I say, I don't know. There's only one Yahweh in the world, so you can't study anything. No, an egg doesn't do it. The sun doesn't do it. The heat, the light, the warmth. I know we all try our best, and don't stop. Keep trying to understand how God works, but this is how God works. And John begins with this phrase. Look, the Word existed before there was a beginning. Before there was a cause, before there was a bang, before there was whatever there was at the beginning of the beginning, before any of that, he was already there. The word already was. And it says, and the word was with God. First he talks about his preexistence, then he says, where, what's his position? 
What's his position? The word was with God. In the, in the Greek, it's a beautiful phrase in the Greek, <clears throat> but I can't memorize it, so I didn't try. But it's the word was with God means the word was face to face with God. Now when we talk about God, what we're, what we're referencing is the Father. You could, you could put the Father there. You could say, and the word was with the Father. And the with means face to face. <clears throat> so it's not some ethereal idea about something, some um, non-reality. You know, we're just trying to say, well, you know, they're all together in this same. No, they're, they were face to face. How are you and I face to face with somebody? <clears throat> the Bible says that's the way the Father, God, Theos, that's the way he was with the word, face to face, side by side. There's an incredible doctrine, theological doctrine, that talks about the unity of God. And if I get into it, we won't even finish verse 1, so I'm going to try not to do it. But I want you to understand, this is the important part of it. There is never a time when... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are not all in agreement, moving in the same direction, accomplishing the same purpose. Never. They are one. Bible's pretty clear, right? They are one, unified, together. Always in unity. The, the Trinity is always in unity. Not a, there's not a time when the Son and the Father are arguing about somebody. And the Father saying, no, no. Nope, forget that guy. He's out. Get rid of him. Never a time. Never a time where the son is trying to save someone that the father won't save. Do you understand? There's never a time when they're not in unity together. That's, that's part of the doctrine of who God is. So here, the word was with God face to face. And just in case we miss this phrase, it's really smoother if you do it in the same word order as the Greek, uh, it says, and the word was God. So in the beginning, before there was a beginning, the word already existed. The word was side by side and face to face with God. And the word was God. Or the way the order is in the Greek, and God was the word. God was the word. This clear describing of a a system that the church has been struggling with for 2,000 years. Look, if you think trying to comprehend who God is is supposed to be easy, I don't know what you're thinking about. The, the God of the universe who can speak, and it is, who calls to living those that are dead, that speaks of something way beyond my comprehension. I just know what he tells me is true. He's laid it out for me. Before there was a beginning, the Word already was. He was side by side with God, face to face, and He is God. In verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning. Remember how Genesis begins? Crazy, huh? He was in the beginning with God. Now, just so you can be clear on what He did, the role of the Word all things were made through him, and without him 
was not anything made that was made. I don't know how to say that clearer than that. So the word is uncreated, uncaused. The word is responsible for all creation. Anything that was made, all made things, anything that had a beginning, had its beginning in the word of God. Genesis says like this, let there be light. And what happened? Light was. The Word created all life. And in Him, in the Word, in Him was life. And the life was the light of man. If you study through the book of Proverbs, you'll discover that the book of Proverbs is, is a, a lot of comparisons and contrasts and one of those comparisons is between light and dark one of those comparisons is between wisdom and the fool one of those comparisons is between life and death those comparisons light wisdom life all point to the word of god or god the word So it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. He is life. If you want to walk the path of life, who do you follow? Jesus. You don't follow Jesus, you're not on the path of life. You may be on the path of a great philosopher. You may be on the path of anything else, but you're not on the path of life. And if it's not the path of life, according to the book of Proverbs, where does it lead? The concepts are, are not hard to comprehend. Maybe the ability to surrender to those concepts is. Look, he's going to do it right here in verse 5. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. So there's your comparison, and there's your contrast. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You ever seen the darkness be able to squelch out a light? No. Unless the light goes away, the darkness goes away. That's how it works. The idea is that Jesus Christ, the Word of God, God the Son, He's the light of the world. In fact, as we study through the Gospel of John, we're going to hear Him say those very words. I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. We want to know what to do and where to go and and what choices we make and what things we ought to do. Then we want to follow Christ. And when I'm following Christ, just so you guys know, when I'm following Christ and everything ends up in a big heaping mess, I just say, that's what God had planned. Now, if you struggle with the idea of God having that kind of control over your life, then you're always going to wrestle with the idea, oh, I should have done that different. If I'd have done that different, I could have saved all of this. But the Bible says there's only one Savior, and you are not it. So whatever time you blew up and yelled at somebody, and something went sideways, whatever thing you messed up and broke your marriage, whatever thing you did in life, and you look back at with regret, all that regret is doing is you proclaiming that there was some way for you to have saved yourself. And unless the light shines in the darkness, 
and you hold on to that darkness, look, I don't know how it works when I'm not following Jesus. I just know how it does when I am. He's the light. He'll show me the way through. I'm going to follow him through the chaos. I am not the savior of my life. I am not the captain of my soul. I am not in charge of my destiny. I surrendered all that to follow Christ. And now I trust in him. So, so what if the path I'm on means hard times? He never lied to me. He never said it's not going to be hard. And then I go, oh, it's hard. You said it wasn't going to be hard. No. He never said it's, it's going to be. He told us it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Oh, it's not good. It's not good. You're not at the end yet. Are you? You ain't there. He said it's going to be good. Then it's going to be good. You just got to hang on. I, I see it expressed very clearly in the lives of my, my grandchildren. Because in a you know, four-year-old's life, or a 10-year-old's life, everything's so urgent. And in a 55-year-old man's life, nothing is that urgent. And they're just sure it's all not going to work out, and they're running 100 miles an hour, spinning in circles. And I'm pretty sure it's all going to be okay. We're going to get to the ice cream shop, trust me. No, Papa, we're not there yet. We, it's all going to be gone. There'll be no ice cream. No, there'll be ice cream. There might not be meat. Might not be toilet paper. <laughs> might not be a bunch of other stuff. But so far, I have had no problem finding ice cream. <laughs> when I want a T-bone, I just have a bowl of ice cream. That is why I am fat. <laughs> so the Lord is laying out for us. He wants us to understand pre-existence, position, who he is. He is God incarnate. And what power does he have? He's a creator of all the world. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. The word of the Lord spoke and the heavens were in proverbs 8 i told you I, I alluded to the fact that wisdom is incarnate in proverbs proverbs 8 12 i wisdom dwell with prudence and i find knowledge and discretion verse 27 when he established the heavens i was there was there ever a time when he wasn't there when they weren't together i was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep when he made firm the skies above when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the, that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, and I was there, like a master workman, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. There's never a day wisdom wasn't with God. There's never a day when the word was not God and with God, and the giver of all life and light. He goes on. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, 
but came to bear witness about the light. Now they asked John, are you the Messiah? John says, no. No, I'm supposed to point him out. You remember the day he did? Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, because the world was at war with God. So God came to put down the rebellion. Only he did it away, we wouldn't have. He put down the rebellion by becoming our peace. He put down the rebellion by making a way where there was no way. So John points to him. John says, there he is. He is the Messiah. This is the one. He's the light. So we must come to the light. We are darkness. Paul even wrote about this in in Ephesians. We are darkness. He doesn't say we are in darkness. We are darkness. We wrestle with this. We're so sure. We're so good. It cracks me up. Man, at least be real with yourself. You ain't good. You ain't got good thoughts. And every once in a while, you do something good, and that's just proof that miracles still happen. Man, I know, I just know. Paul, the apostle, said, in me, that is, in my flesh, what did he say? Nothing good dwells. We are darkness, but the light came. The light came. And the darkness drove nails and spit and shouted and rejected. And so the light died for the darkness and three days later there was too much light and the darkness began to change the darkness began to take on the characteristics of light because light came into the darkness When Jesus Christ came into my life, the light of Christ has driven darkness out. I don't have a hard time seeing the darkness. I don't have a hard time seeing where I am and where Jesus is. And that's where I'd like to get. That's where I'm headed. I want to head toward him. I want to honor him in my life. But I know he loved me when I was dark, when I was broken and hateful. He loves all the dumb things I say and the dumb things I do. He loves me. I should say he loves me in spite of all that. His love is unconditional. I come to him and he drives the darkness out. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. Yet the world didn't know him. The world could not comprehend. The darkness could not comprehend the light. Right? Light comes, darkness flees. That's how that works. Jesus came and creation fled because they can't comprehend. They can't appropriate. I don't know how to bring this beauty and majesty and glory in. I don't know how to do that. There was only one way to do it. He died so that we might live. 
He died so that we could appropriate him. That's why Jesus would say in John chapter 6, Unless I'm in you, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Unless I'm in you, you're not saved. You're saved because you have appropriated. But the light came to the world, and the world couldn't appropriate it. It, didn't, it couldn't do it. There was no way to get saved apart from Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. There was not one disciple saved until resurrection day. That's why you'll read through the text and it'll say, they believed and some doubted, and they believed and some doubted, and they believed and sometimes still after that, they're going to say, they believed and some doubted, because they're wrestling around with the reality of we, the world, we, the darkness, have a hard time apprehending, laying hold of all that Christ is. But the good news is that he promised a helper. Where did he promise that? The Gospel of John. Crazy. He said, I'm going to send. It's good for me. It's good for you that I leave. Now, I can't imagine a situation where it would be good that Jesus left. But he said, it'll be good when, when I leave, when I go back to the Father, because I'm going to give you what you need. Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 4. He gave gifts to the church through the Holy Spirit. He gave prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the edifying of the body, the building up of the church. He said, I give it, I'll give it to you so that you can apprehend, so you can appropriate what God has provided. The world could not, so he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He came to his own. All, what did he make? He said it made everything, didn't it? When, in John chapter 3, what does it say? To say, God so loved the nation of Israel that he gave his... Is that how it goes? What does it say? God so loved the world. What is it that Jesus created? How much of it is his? It's all his. It all belongs to him. He came to his own, but his own could not receive him. There was a break between man's ability to appropriate who God was. From Genesis, God's been revealing himself to the people of the world. You don't come up with a Jewish nation until Exodus. You can say the beginning is Abraham, but Abraham was a Gentile. Brothers and sisters, Abraham came from Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham came from Babylon. He's reaching out to the world to reveal himself to the world, but the world can't comprehend him. The world can't appropriate it. They're not, they're not able to integrate. Why? Because of man's sin. Because we are darkness and he is light. And light and darkness can't mix. You can't end up with a, a little light. It's either light or it's not light. So, the word is going to become flesh. He came to his own, and his own could not comprehend, could not receive him yet. 
They could not. There will be moments of faith and trust, right? Where people trust Him because He's able to heal. They trust Him because He can cleanse the leper. They trust Him because He's showing to all of us through the Gospel of John the goodness of God in the land of the living. He's showing us. You want to know who is God? What's God like? Gospel of John. That's why we always want to start there. Because he's telling us who God is. He's telling us what God is doing, what God is accomplishing. In, in Luke 19.9 it says, and Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to what? Seek and to save what was lost. So Jesus saying, hey, salvation has come. Now you know, you, you understand where your hope needs to be. You're growing in your comprehension of who God is and what he's accomplished. It's actually finished where? When Jesus shouts from the cross. Te telestai, paid in full. It is accomplished. It is done. It is finished. I have paid the price. The wrath of God poured out on the Word of God, on the Son of God, so that you and I could know the peace of God. All accomplished so that we might come to receive. Look what it says, verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, to all who did receive Him, who believed on His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. Now you're not darkness. Now... You're one of his kids. We think we, we, we always think very chronologically. John is not a chronological guy. So John, he's saying, he's already talked about pre-existence. Before there was a beginning, the word was there. He's, he's talked about all of creation. The word of God created all things, and through him all things were made that are made. He's talking about the fact that the Word of God has come and nobody comprehends it, nobody's able to apprehend it. But who is able to apprehend it? Those who are able. Look, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, a broken fisherman, stood up with a bunch of other guys who were speaking languages that everybody could understand, but somehow everybody thought they were drunk. It's kind of weird, right? Peter says, these are not drunk as you suppose. Why did people think they were drunk? I don't know. Was it because they were acting drunk? No. That's a little weird. These are not drunk as you suppose, but this is what was written. What God revealed through the Old Testament when He declared, in the last days, your young men are going to see visions. Your old men are going to dream dreams. I'm going to pour out my spirit. Same thing that Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 31 when he said, Look guys, this isn't it yet. There's a new covenant coming. There's a new testament coming. And everyone knows a new testament that is coming comes with a sacrifice. Just like the first one. So there's a new covenant coming. The new covenant, Jesus said, the new covenant, this is the new covenant which is in my Blood given for the remission of sin. And God's brought it all full circle. And to as many as received him, to them he has given the power to become the children of God. God's kids. 
in a world at war with him that he loved. Who were born, verse 13, not of blood or the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. These guys, when they, when they come to the appropriation of what God has provided, that doesn't occur because you and I said, you know, Lord, it would be really good if you would send somebody to die for us. Lord, if you would come, we would have never dreamed any of this up. It's not in our will. I've heard, I hear people say still sometimes, well, I never asked God to do that for me. Well, you didn't have to ask Him. And you can throw it away. That's on you, brother. That ain't on me. And that ain't on God. He provided. It didn't come by blood or by the will of man. It came by the will of God. This was God's purpose, God's plan, God's revelation, all laid out uh, for us. Now, how is it that the Word then reveals God? Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the Word? Jesus, right? Jesus is God the Word. Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John writes, And we have seen His glory. John says that old man who came up in the front of church who had walked with God and who had talked with God, he said, I saw His glory. I saw it. There was a day when, when the glory of God leaked out of the flesh. We call it the transfiguration. It's a fancy word, but it means basically, I saw His glory. Hank Williams said it different. How did he say it? I saw, oh, look at you guys. There's like four Hank Williams people in here. He said, I saw the light. Where, where, wait a minute, the light, the, it was a light that came to the darkness, right? And the darkness couldn't comprehend it. Coming, it's good that you see it, but you need the light in you. You need to apprehend the light. You need to lay hold of the light. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see the glory of God the Word in God the Son. We see the glory of Yahweh through His life as He is the revelation of God. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God. Everything that God has to say to you, He is saying to you through Jesus Christ. He's it. The Word is made flesh. He's with us. He's full of grace and truth. It was John that bore witness about Him and cried out, This is Him of whom I have said, He who comes after me is before me. First thing he says, Jesus is preeminent. Most important. John says, he's born after me. I'm older than him. I'm six months older. John the Baptist is saying to Jesus, you remember the story, right? I'm older, but he was before me. Interesting, right? He is before me. He is the preeminent one. And he says, because he was before me. He was preexistent. This is God in the flesh. This is incredible. This is God coming into the people who are spitting in his face and declaring his love for his creation by making a way, not our plan, God's plan, so that we can know him, so that we can walk in the love of God. Listen, for from his fullness, fullness of God, in bodily form, from his fullness, we have 
all received grace upon grace. Right? Rich was sharing with this God of a thousand chances. The God of inexhaustible grace. You can't wear out God's grace. But you must be born again. You don't know God's grace. You're still in the darkness if you're not born again. Chapter 3, Nick at night comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to be born again? You must repent and believe. You have to appropriate the light. You couldn't do it before Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but now you can. Now the light of God will enter into your life. That's why we say things like, ask Jesus into your heart. Bring the light in so that it will dispel what? Darkness. We want the light to dispel the darkness. Listen, we have received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses. The first part of God's revelation, there is a requirement. There is a separation between you and I. The second part of the revelation of God is that requirement is fulfilled in my son. Jesus Christ has fulfilled it for you. So you can appropriate, so you can know me. So you can lay hold of me. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. For no one has ever seen God. How many people's no one? No one. Remember what I told you. What do we do with the word God to keep us from confusing ourselves? No one has seen the Father. No one. The Bible says that God is spirit. He's invisible, meaning God is unknowable. You can't know Him. But there is a, a person within the triune Godhead of Yahweh called God the Word, God the Son, who we can know, right? This is what he's saying. No one has ever seen God. The only God. Everybody asks me, Jackie, why do you use ESV of this verse? This is why I use ESV. Now, maybe NASB got it right. I don't know. Did they get it right? Corey? Of course. <laughs> hey, you use whatever Bible you'll read. Everybody asks me, what Bible should I use? The one you'll read. If you're not going to read it, don't bother buying it. Buy one you'll read. But I love the ESV because of this verse. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. Because that is more loyal, faithful to the Greek. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father is confusing. But when I say the only God who is at the side of the Father, you know we just talked about that in the first three verses, right? The Word was with God. The Word was side by side with God. The God who is at the Father's side, He, Jesus Christ, makes the Father known to me and you. He is the God we know. Every time anyone ever saw God, from Genesis to Revelation, they saw God the Word. It's beautiful when Ezekiel is given his prophecies. Listen, there's a prophecy of Ezekiel, I love it, where he says, the word of God came to me. And we go, oh. It means he had a thought. Except for the next phrase. 
and he touched me. A thought doesn't touch you. When the word of God came to the old, the prophets of old, it was a manifestation, a pre-incarnate experience, a Christophany in theological terms, an appearance of Christ. Because no one sees God, no one can know God, no one can come to God except through Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can know Him. And you have to know who Jesus is. In John chapter 8, Jesus is going to say, we'll talk about it when we get there, unless you believe that I am eternal God, you will die in your sin. That's a big deal. Why do we argue over people who say he's this and he's that? They all say the word Jesus. It should be okay. It's not okay. Man, what's wrong with you guys? If somebody said to you, man, I really love Jackie. And you said, oh, me too. Man, I really love Jackie. And I seen him the other day. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's incredible that somebody eight foot tall and 700 pounds can move like he can move. It's incredible. And one of you guys is going to go, what? He's like 5'10", fat, and he can barely move at all. Are you talking about the same being? No. Does it matter if I say, well, Jesus is just an angel? Does it matter if I say Jesus is just a creation of God? Yeah, that Jesus is not the Jesus that we're reading in the Gospel of John. The one who reveals the truth about who God is. There's only one way to come to the Father, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ, God eternal, the Word made flesh. This is what the Gospel of John will teach us. It matters. Hold fast to the truth. And I hope, I hope you're able to just really put your anchor into the love of God. I was driving down the freeway one day. Rich can't ever get me to stop. I closed my Bible. I'm pretty close to done. <laughs> I was driving down the freeway one day and I had lost everything. Men in black suits came and took my house, took my car, took my stuff. Everything we ever had, all the things I always thought made me a success, they took everything. And I'm driving a truck and on a tire that, that just had a tread fall off. Just thought I got a flat tire. I pulled over and the tire wasn't flat, but there was no tread anymore. The closest miracle I'd had since God delivered me from HIV. And I look at that tire and it's just steel belts. All I see is steel belt. And I'm like, God, what are you doing in my life? Why I got to lose everything? Why is everything got to go wrong? Why, is, why this? Why this? I had this big old pity party meeting with the, with God and people driving by probably just think I'm mad about my tire but I'm uh, maybe I was but I'm just I, everything in life just kind of coalesced and all of a sudden it's all unraveling and God what's going on and what's happening I thought you loved me and obviously if you love me everything is going to be good in my life and everything's going to work out and everything nothing's going to be hard and and then I just uh, remember lifting up my 
my eyes to heaven and saying, Why are you doing this? Like we did in worship a little while ago, and they say, Just be quiet a minute and listen for the Holy Spirit, that still small voice. This is what I heard whispered Jackie, do you love me more than these? just love me for the stuff you love me for the good days do you really love me when he whispered that I told him then and I've told him since you can burn it all all I need is Jesus amen why don't you stand with me let's pray Father God, we just lift this time to you, Lord. We pray, God, that you by your spirit would meet us here, Lord, that your spirit would continue to minister even as you ministered to us through worship, as you have ministered to us through your word, the reading of your word, the studying of your word. God, may we no longer be darkness, even as Paul would declare in Ephesians chapter 2. But we were once darkness. But God, but God, he reached into the darkness and he brought the light. May we appropriate that light. May I lay down self, lay down the idea that I can save myself and just trust wholly in Jesus Christ. And may you deliver me. For I was once in the kingdom of darkness, but now I am in the kingdom of darkness of a light. I was once in the darkness of hatred. Now I'm in the kingdom of love. I was once in the darkness of a fool, but now I walk the path of wisdom. All because Jesus makes God available to us. And so the Son of God commands men everywhere, repent and believe. In Jesus' name, amen.